If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. There's a lot to go on with this. You can make money from your podcast, no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Remember, your podcast journey starts here. Hey everyone, and today we're going to be talking about a bunch of things that I've always enjoyed talking about, and that is sciences of fluids and air, aircraft. On today, just literally just airplanes, we're going to talk about new technologies in aviation, what will happen with fluids, including hydraulics and fuel, and what can we expect to do as maintenance guys when these technologies change. So, first off, welcome to the episode. Uh, it's been a while. Uh, just wanted to make sure everyone was having a great day. Enjoying their flying or working on the aircraft or going to school, going to class. Hoping everyone's enjoying their day and getting through the week. So, there are a bunch of reasons why hydraulics are key on aircraft. Hydraulics function flight controls, they function coolers, they function fluid movement, landing gear, a bunch of stuff. And the one that we're always used to is Skydraw. Skydraw is kind of like a light blue purpley color that burns like hell. It stings, it hurts, but it's very convenient in aviation because the viscosity and the fluid flow works well with a lot of aviation systems. Now, hydraulics are very key in aviation for a lot of reasons. One of the main reasons why they're key is because it helps scientifically move parts in kinetic energy. Everything is direct flow. Even statically, they have to build pressure, and that's when you get an accumulator, which has nitrogen pressure that keeps pressure at stock before the aircraft is running. Now, one of the cool things about hydraulic fluid is hydraulic fluid starts from a pump and sits in a reservoir, it's filtered, it even can be tested to make sure the fluid is actually in a correct state, knowing that the, the fluid looks good. Now, a lot, of, a lot of people think hydraulics are useless or they can be obsolete, but it's kind of hard to get hydraulics to go obsolete because hydraulics really control most of the aviation systems. You can use cables like they used to, but cables are a good first effect to have as backup plan. You know, in the early aircraft when they just had cables and fabric, yeah, it worked. But aircraft are getting heavier and heavier and using cables is more maintenance oriented and a lot heavier to use and actually and more practical to use hydraulics. But in the newer industry of aviation from like even the 20, once FEDA came into play, a lot of electronic actuators have come into play for moving flight controls. Now I'm okay with, I'm okay with electronic actuators. 
You know, it's less moving fluids, less moving parts for the most part. But you got to think of it like this too. Electronic actuators are pricey and they can be a little heavier, with, especially with batteries and motors involved. But they all do the same job. They all actuate systems. They all create fluids. They all help move and moment and move and create momentum with parts. Now, with COVID and everything, parts have become a, a problem, especially with a lot of the the parts having issues with delivery and inventory. Hydraulic fluids, yeah, are created from a lot of oils and gases from refineries. So that is also another problem. But we can also think of this too. What do hydraulics create that aircraft need? And that is thermodynamics, cooling, momentum, power. A lot of these engines idolize hydraulics. You know, when you when you change a fuel pump or a hydraulic pump, a lot of the times hydraulic pumps are engine driven. And you're going to have multiple pumps that are engine driven. You're going to have the aux pump, you're going to have engine one and engine two hydraulic pumps. So they create pressure. You're not going to get ideal pressure from one of them. The aircraft systems are not going to work and it's going to throw either a trouble light or a trouble indicator. So what, what do you think would be a good idea in the long run to help benefit? Monitoring, sensors. What does that do? That shows you where to look. It shows you what to follow. It shows you, you know, where to instigate. It's a good troubleshooting thing. You get monitoring equipment, you know they're, they're, they can be showing you where the pressure, the temperature, the quantity, the movement. So this this all works very well with our with our favor as pilots and maintenance guys. Now without these without these monitoring equipment back in the day with dial with uh you know analog equipment or gauge equipment it was a little bit harder because a lot of the times and this can go for the indicators now they were inaccurate you get something that was highly inaccurate and it could have different quantities or your aircraft will be moving to the other side you'll be turning and the fuel sloshes around or hydraulic slosh around and you won't be able to identify anything so it's got its pluses but knowing the temperature is key knowing the temperature rate is key knowing the pressure is key knowing the quantity is very key so and some aircraft will even show you what systems they control and hydraulics can use different pressures in different systems. Now, I find I find these systems very useful because a lot of the times when you're working on these, you, you kind of can tell when the hydraulics are bad or leaking. If a hydraulic system is leaking, you can either smell it, like SkyDraw, you can definitely kind of smell it and it'll sting, sting your nose, sting your eyes, or you can just see it. You know, oil is another thing. Fuel is another thing. Fuel definitely has a very big odor. Oil, burned oil has a very good odor. They all have odors. And odor is another thing that's a very easy troubleshooting task for hydraulics. Now, I like to get a little bit into hydraulic troubleshooting. You know, that's a big thing. Troubleshooting as it is is kind of hard when you're a brand new AMP because you've never really troubleshot before. In school, they kind of teach you the troubleshooting basics, what to look for, what to identify. But I kind of wish they used, they showed us more of using the FIM 
uh, using keys. A FIM is a fault isolation manual, so they use that to identify where the fault can possibly be at. So if you're going to use a fault isolation manual, that is really the go-to thing to check. Check tests, check where we're going, check if this is the problem, if the aircraft is good after that. So when we go towards hydraulic FIM testing, we usually check the pressures. Now, if you connect like a hydro mule or like a regular hydro tank, you gotta make sure the pressures are good because if the pressures are inaccurate or inadequate, nothing's gonna work. So, or work properly. It might work, but it might not go down all the way or it might not, it might not actuate properly. Now, hydraulics are, hydraulics are a huge, huge reason why maintenance guys, you know, with servicing, hydraulics is a huge key in servicing, fittings, uh, tubes, lines, you know, you gotta, you gotta kinda see where you're troubleshooting with. You find an issue with troubleshooting hydraulics, that can be a big problem, or if you troubleshoot it incorrectly, you miss a spot, there might get error involved. That leads us to our next point. What doesn't go well with fluids is air. You think of brakes. You get air in your brake system. Your brakes don't work properly. You, you get bubbles in your brake system. The same goes with a lot of other fluids. Hydraulics is another one. You get air in your hydraulic system, that's a bad day. You're gonna get a, a, a some air. You're gonna get, it's, it's almost impossible not to get air into a hydraulic system unless you purge it all and then quickly close it. You're gonna get a little bit of air, but I'm talking about a lot of air to the point where it's actually noticeable in the pressure differential and it's higher because the pressure's higher and the fluid quantity is lower. So what do you do with that? You purge, you bleed. Bleeding brakes is a, a good example. Uh, servicing the system is another good example. There's a bunch of other things you can use to, you know, to clean these systems out. But, you know, I wish they taught us more about these servicing items. You know, a lot of, a lot of new AMPs, when they, get, when they go to school, they learn about the actual hydraulics. They learn what hydraulics do. They learn what the systems are for the most part. But they never teach you how to assist or work on servicing hydraulic systems what it feels like to get sky draw in the eyes or on the skin or in your mouth. A lot of AMPs can definitely agree to that. So, hydraulics is one thing. Actuators, you know, accumulators, quantity, reservoirs, lines, fittings, all that. But when we talk about hydraulics in general, a lot of people automatically assume struts. Now, struts are definitely have hydraulics packed into them. A lot of them have nitrogen packed into them for the actual strut length. And servicing struts can be kind of challenging when you've never done it before. Some of them are easy, you know, they got the fitting on it. But some of them are really, really hard to, to learn because a lot of these guys have never been around them before. So what do, you, what do you do when you run into issues with struts? You usually call the manufacturer to make sure you don't have to repack it. A lot of AMP companies or FA companies and MROs, they'll usually repack them, but sometimes you're doing line maintenance, you, you 
won't be able to repack them, or you will be able to repack them. It all goes from there. I wish that when instructing team members how to use hydraulic systems and servicings, you're able to actually slow down a little bit, sit down with them, show them what can go wrong, what can be good, like a little test sand where you just have like a little hydraulic system. Um, at my previous university, we had a test cell where you can you have for the you have to make a hydraulic line. You know, you do the flaring and all that, open the end up, all that, put on the fitting. I always thought that was sweet. Uh, my professor at the time, he was great at showing us what to do, explaining why it has to be the certain length or else hydraulics will literally go everywhere. So in this scenario, it would be nice to have another test cell like that, a lot of these companies, so you can teach the newer AMPs what to look at. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Yeah, you have to kind of get into more complex equations and all that, but in the end of the day, you're helping out your team, you're helping out your company, because now the AMPs can go to an airplane and know what they're doing. That leads me to my next point is test cells. Test cells are very important in, in aviation education and training. I think test stands, test cells, especially engine stands, or even like, even just like a really easy troubleshooting for electronics and avionics, can really benefit a lot of people. So now, when you're benefiting your your courses and your students or your team, the one thing you got to look forward to is their motivation to do it. A lot of these older AMPs, they've been taught different ways, and then when you bring, as a newer instructor, you bring different ways in and they've never done it before and they think it's stupid. Well, try to implement their ways into it. Show them what they think is, is what they were taught and implement it with yours makes it easier for them to learn and makes it easier for them to, to focus. You know, a lot of these older AMPs, they, they're not really good with the computer stuff. The computer stuff is another thing. So when you implement education into, you know, all this stuff, you got to understand that education is a key part of learning. And training is a huge part of training. A lot of these people, they put online stuff, they put, you know, they put, you know, you know, the modules you can read and watch videos on, but they should easily have modules where you learn how to use the systems. Because if you mess an airplane up, that's going on you and that's going on your team. So what, in the end of the day, hydraulics, fuel, actuators, we can all learn it, but eventually we'll run into a system we've never done before. Now this is a problem because a lot of people they come to work, they work on the airplane, they not really study the airframes that much, or they know one certain airframe, so when they go to a different one, they're kind of clueless, and I and that's totally understandable. A lot of these people, when they start, they kind of come to the company, and they don't understand what's going on. Now, when looking at systems like this, from an instructor standpoint, Using a mod, video module is very smart because then people can see how it works, show them examples, show them people changing them. But if you have a video module with an actual test stand or an actual airplane you can service off of, it makes things so much easier. I remember at my previous job when I was learning the 737 system, we, we, my first week with the sign-off, I went out to the 737 and we had a, tire, we had a couple tire changes. And on those, they're, they're different tire sides. They have covers. They're, a lot of them have, you know, a lot of them have safety wiring and all that stuff. A lot of people have pluses 
with, with instructing. So when you first work on an aircraft you go through GenFam with, a lot of people think GenFams are pointless, but I think GenFam should also include practical work. And a lot of things in Europe, they, they expect you to do practical training with the modules, which I think is fantastic because then you learn more hands-on stuff with it. So with a lot of these people, you gotta, you gotta be patient with, cause a lot of these guys have never seen a different hydraulic system on different airplanes. For me, I'm not really used to Airbus aircraft. Boeing aircraft is more of my speciality. And that those are the aircraft that I've actually been around and used on for a while. Triple sevens, four sevens, three sevens, six sevens. If I got it, if I got a maintenance manual in front of me and a diagram and troubleshooting, I can figure it out more than Airbuses. That's because I've spent more most of my career with those. You know, when you even get towards the corporate jets, a lot of these corporate jets use the same might use the same edge engines, but a lot of them have different systems. So learning them all is kind of complicated. And it takes time. It's not going to take a year. It's going to take many years to learn these systems. That's just how, you know, aircraft work. That's how a lot of things work. And hydraulics and systems are a huge key of that. You know, I started this episode off going over hydraulics and systems and stuff. And now we've gone through the instructing portions of it. Now, with the new generation of AMP technicians, a lot of them will know through actual with loving airplanes now aviation enthusiasts can be fantastic mechanics can fantastic pilots because they have a they have the heart to work to be around these aircraft but does that mean they need to work on aircraft no doesn't mean that they can lead a position and know everything about it no no one knows everything about an airplane i don't care how long you spend an aircraft 20 years 30 years 40 years every airplane has things that change and have things that are different if someone says they know everything about the airplane they're bsing you I, for one, know a lot about the 737 and 747, but am I saying that I know everything about it? No, I don't. I know a lot of things about the DC-3. I know a lot of things about the P-47, a lot of these World War II warbirds. I know a lot about them, but do I know everything about them? No. Can I change a can I change an engine on one of them? If you give me the right manual and tools and specifications, yes. But does that get does that get the power for you to go around saying that you know everything? No, it doesn't. Systems is one of those. If you know everything about a hydraulic system, you keep two guys on it. I personally think when you work on hydraulic systems, I think you should have two guys working on it. Why? What if the hydraulic system gets in that person's eyes or hurts the person or the depressurize the system and it explodes in their face? If they're by themselves, how are they supposed to work around that? See, some of these things you gotta, you gotta kind of put in the back of your mind, like, oh yeah, they can, I can work with this. Or, oh yeah, I can't work with this. Think about it. But yeah, that that was my, my go-to stuff for this uh, section. Uh, for more information on my podcast, you can follow me on Spotify, literally just airplanes. Uh, if you click onto this link, you can find it through Anchor. Anchor is brought to you by Spotify. Uh, Spotify is brought to you by Anchor. And uh, if you have any questions, you can follow me on LinkedIn. You can follow me on Facebook. You can follow me on on Instagram. I'm all over the place. Um, a little little more about me. I'm an AMP mechanic. I've been an AMP mechanic for about. I've been an airframe mechanic for about three years. I got my power my power plant in September 2021, and I I love working on airplanes. Yes, some of them can be a pain. But what, who doesn't like a good challenge, you know, and a good team? 
you get good mechanics with you, everything comes wrong well. well. All right, guys, have a good rest of your day and uh, enjoy everything you're going through. Talk to you later, guys.